June 2020, I showed up here 5.45 p.m. after my regular work day to get a haircut. A car pulled up right there as I was walking in and opened fire on the barber shop. I got caught in drive-by shooting and I got shot three times. One of them hit me in the chest and then I took one bullet in the femoral artery, which I later found out that night is probably the second worst spot you can get shot other than the jugular. So uh, I think as soon as I got to speak to my mom on the phone, I realized it was a little bit more serious than maybe I'd initially thought. Going into the hospital, they told my parents I was looking at probably about a 50-50 shot of making it through the night. And on top of that, the odds of keeping my leg were much less. I'm thinking uh, you know, in a positive sense the entire time, right? There's, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm making it through the night. There's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to be all right. I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, you know what, what can I do to face this head on? How can I use this crazy thing that I've been through to, you know, find some purpose? And I wanted to do something that allowed me to look back on my life and be happy with what I'd gone through. Hey there, and welcome to the Leading with Nice interview series podcast. My name is Matthew Yule, you know, and you know we want to help you inspire others, build loyalty, and get results. If you're listening, this may not sound any different. If you're watching on YouTube or elsewhere, you'll notice we're outside. I'm not in my office. We are in Ottawa, Canada, Canada's capital. And the reason we're here today is I'm with Brandon Peacock, and I'm going to let Brandon tell his story. This is the first episode of season two for us. And we wanted to launch with something a little bit different and something uh, that we think might be really valuable to you and your team. So Brandon, you know, thanks for hosting us here in Ottawa. And just give us a, a little bit of bio information. Like, you know, how, you, are you from Ottawa? How old are you? What do you, what do, you do? Yeah, so thanks for having me on, Matthew. Um, I'm 25 years old now, just turned 25 last month. Born and raised in Ottawa, just about 10 minutes from this location here uh, in Canada, I guess you could say. I've been here my entire life, but uh, it's a great city here. I'm, you know, I'm happy you came down. Cool, thank you. So we are here outside of uh, Fresh Barbershop, and it's not a coincidence that we chose to sit here. And we're just going to get right into it. I don't want to set it up. I want you to tell your story. So June 2020, you were here to get your hair cut. Yep. And uh, something happened that altered the trajectory of your life. Yeah. forever tell us your story yeah so you can notice I, I still haven't got that haircut uh just over a year later now i showed up here 5:45 p.m after my regular work day to get a haircut and a car pulled up right there as i was walking in and opened fire on the barber shop uh they actually were targeting the store next door it's empty now the the owner has i, I guess left uh, for obvious reasons yeah. but yeah i got caught in drive-by shooting and i got shot three times so it's, a, it's always a little bit weird coming back here. It's my, my third time back now, but um, the team here is phenomenal. Um, so it definitely was a life-changing night for me. And just to make it very clear for our listeners, when you say you were hit with bullets by drive-by shooting, we're talking like the stuff you might imagine in a TV or a movie show, right? Yeah. Car pulls up, somebody leans out with a yep. gun. You've had incredible recall 
yeah. of those moments, like what was going through your mind those first instances? Yeah, so obviously I, I'm very fortunate in a weird way to, to fully, I remember a good chunk of the situation. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's some areas that are a little bit gray, but yeah, walking into the barber shop, uh, there happened to be the owner's wife who was holding the door open for me, literally right on those steps right there. And we saw a car pull up and obviously you, it takes a couple seconds to react. But as they started opening fire, I guess I ushered her in and then ran in kind of after her. So I, I happened to take the brunt of everything. I got hit three times. Uh, one of them hit me in the chest, which, you know, was my biggest concern the night of, obviously. I, I think, you know, your, your heart, your lungs, you have so many vital organs there that it was obviously a really scary scene for me. And then I happened to get one in the left leg, which ended up being a non-factor. Uh, it was kind of like a ricochet bullet. And then I took one bullet in the femoral artery, which I later found out that night is probably the second worst spot you can get shot other than the jugular. So even getting shot in the head, you have arguably a better chance at survival. So that ended up being the biggest cause for concern the night of. So I, I got in there, immediately kind of realized I, I was hit and I started basically bleeding out on the floor in there. Um, the entire barbershop at that point was evacuated, like everyone had run out the back. Um, so it happened to be me and just the woman who was holding the door for me at the time who were left in there. I got her to apply pressure to my, my leg as I was applying pressure to my chest. Um, and then she ran over to get the phone and had me call my mom because she didn't think I was going to make it that night. That was night. her idea? That was her idea, yeah. Wow. Well, she said, Do you, is there anyone yeah. you want to call? And, you know, naturally I'm like, okay, I got, I got to call my mom, right? Like, and it's, it's funny because in her mind I was, I was toast. I basically just say, hey mom, this is gonna sound crazy. Don't stress, but I got shot uh, going to my barber shop. I'm gonna be okay, don't worry. I just wanted you to hear it from me first. You can't really see it in the camera here, but you can see it. That Tim Horton's right there. There happened to be a police officer there at the time of the shooting. He literally sprinted directly across the street. Um, that's actually when my phone call with my mom got cut off because they took the phone. They didn't know who I was calling, right? right? They didn't know who you were. No idea. They didn't know, right? you know yeah. all they know is that you're, you've been hit with gunfire. Yeah. And it's very uncommon that someone who's not a target of a shooting gets shot three times yeah. in a drive-by, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, because that, that officer was able to get over so quickly, he basically strapped a tourniquet to my leg right away. And because the femoral artery bleed is so severe, I was told that had it been 30 more seconds, I probably would have been dead. So I actually only found this out probably two months ago from my parents. So I didn't know this at the time, and I, I think they were probably scared to share it with me. But going into the hospital, they told my parents I was looking at probably about a 50-50 shot of making it through the night. And on top of that, the odds of keeping my leg were much less. I remember the last thing I said before going under the knife was, do what you gotta do, you knock down my odds of survival by 50% if you have to, just like do what you gotta do to keep this leg. I was very fortunate too in the sense that because I came in around six o'clock, I was there at shift change. So I had surgeons from the day shift and the night shift, all of like probably 10 surgeons who, who were all unbelievable at what they do on board for my surgery. So they were able to give me the best medical care that I, I probably could have got that night of. Um, so again, I think for, for a challenging circumstance and something that definitely it was, it was a terrible thing, I had every single lucky bounce that I possibly could have that night. And that's kind of where I, when I talk about with you, reflecting on the positives of everything, I, I'm able to do that because I had so many good bounces go my way.
it's actually funny, as I was laying there on the floor, people always ask me, they're like, what were you thinking about, right? Like, what was going on in your brain? Um, and, you know, I'm sorry, mom, if you're watching this, but <laughs> everything that was going on in my brain was, you know what, this is all right. Like, you're gonna have a couple weeks off work. You're gonna have some time to read some of the books you've been putting off, like, um, you know, watch some of the podcasts you've been putting off. Like, do some of these things that you haven't had the opportunity to do because you've been so busy in your day-to-day -day life how can you kind of make yourself better coming out of this, right? And that, that probably sounds psychotic of me, but I think it brought me a lot of peace at the same time because I wasn't thinking this could be, you know, the last breath I take, right? I was just thinking, what's next? And eventually I caught myself. I think as soon as I got to speak to my mom on the phone, I realized it was a little bit more serious than maybe I'd initially thought. I'm sure had I allowed myself to drift off, it could have definitely gone south right, uh, right. quick, I think. But yeah, I was very cognizant the entire time. Uh, you, you don't want to think of, it, of everything in a negative, right? I'm thinking a, a, you know, in a positive sense the entire time, right? There's, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm making it through the night. There's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to be all right, regardless of how much blood's there, regardless of how stressed out everyone else around me is. But my biggest thought and the biggest reason that I was so driven to, to get through that night was like, what, what mark have I left? If I was to die tonight, would I be able to go peaceful knowing that I left a legacy with my friends, my family, my community, like all these things, and I, I wasn't really content with the legacy I left. I, I like to think I, I have a really good supportive family who would have yeah. been very proud of me regardless. My friends, I think, would have too. But I still thought there was a lot more that I could do, right, and a lot better that I could do. What I found really exciting about your story when we began talking, between the time of being shot and your, like, few days after recovery, yep. You changed your mindset again. You pivoted yeah. from just like, oh, I have some time off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make use of this yeah. moment. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah. So, so there was maybe, a, maybe a couple of factors that played into that. I, I think the first, as much as I had a really positive mindset going through, when you wake up that next morning, you're still so heavily sedated. You, you're on so many painkillers because of the severity of your injury. It's really easy to, and, and you know, which is fair to, to get complacent and just kind of like lay in there and just be happy you're alive and be kind of like a bit of a slug, right? Like I, I couldn't move at that point. My leg was so destroyed. All of my ribs were broken on the left side. Um, I physically could not, not even just get up out of my bed, but like move my shoulders up, right? So it was pretty easy to fall into a dark place for the first couple of days where I found myself just trying to sleep as much as I could. You know, I was sleeping probably 18 hours a day. And what was really unique about that is because of all the painkillers that I was on, my dreams were so wild and, and vivid and I dreamed pretty lucid as it is. So I found myself just using that as an escape, right? An escape from reality where like in my dreams, I was still like running around do with my friends. Like that's all I could think about at the time was like, I hope I'm able to get out there and live my normal life again, right? So, you know, I, I used that as an escape and I think on day, day three, late day two, I, I kind of realized, I, it's, I was actually reading this book by this guy called Mike Magilak. It's called The Fifth Vital and he talks about his opioid addiction when he was younger and how it really threw off his entire life, right? And I started to see myself, and again, it was only two days, it, it, three days, it, it probably wasn't something I would have fallen into long-term, or at least I'd like to hope I wouldn't have, but it was becoming a big escape for me. So on day three, I decided to opt out of all my pain medications, except for my nerve medications, so Lyrica is what I was taking, but that didn't really alter my mental state whatsoever, right? I was still able to, to think to the same degree as I would be able to without any medication. The pain meds were, was impacting that, right? So I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, you know what, what can I do to face this head on, right? Like obviously sitting here and being upset with myself isn't gonna do anything. It's not gonna be productive. 
how can I use this crazy thing that I've been through to, you know, find some purpose, right? And how can I come back from this to the best of my abilities? And got back, I asked my parents to bring in a bunch of books for me. They thought I was crazy. They're like, dude, like, relax, yeah. you know, take your time. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, you just got shot. Like, you're basically on your deathbed here. Like, relax, you know, like, feel sorry for yourself a little bit. And that narrative right there is what drove me more than anything, right? Yeah. I don't want anyone to ever feel sorry for me. I don't want to... I don't want to feel sorry for myself. You know, like I didn't see myself as a victim of circumstance. I saw myself as a proud survivor of something that was difficult. And I wanted to do something that allowed me to look back on my life and be happy with what I'd gone through. So you're in the hospital, you're on day three or four, you've opted out of the pain medication, minus the one to help you with your nerve recovery. Yep. In those days, those short few days after uh, your recovery has begun in the hospital, yep. you've started to answer the question, what mark do I want to leave? Yeah, yeah, so I thought about it, and the things that got me through my time in the hospital the most, my darkest days, um, you know, my coming to terms with everything, were my, my communications with people who'd gone through like circumstances. So I was able to talk, I, I had a friend, um, his name is Michael Otu, he was hit by a car about five years ago and he slipped into a coma for like a week I believe. Mm -hmm. But when he saw what I went through, he reached out directly to me and he's like, look man, not many people are gonna be able to understand what you're feeling right now. They're gonna tell you, you know, allow yourself to feel sorry for yourself. Like they're gonna wish you the best, but they're not gonna be able to fully get it. I get it, I'm here to talk whenever you need. And we talked probably every day. And he guided me through how to think in that recovery process. And that was what I needed. I didn't need some person with a, with a degree who had a bunch of questions and boxes to check off. And I, I appreciate that, yes. you know, like yeah. I've, I've done it. I think that there is a hell of a lot of value in, in therapy. You were explaining to me earlier yeah. that the system is set up to achieve a certain thing. 100%. And you, are, you wanted to achieve a different thing. Yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, there's a couple things and it really depends which way you go, but you're, you're able to kind of get a lot of like emotional support, which I think is very important. Yes, for but, sure. But in my personal understanding of what I wanted to do with my situation, for me personally, I didn't find it was the best route because I had resources like Michael in my life who I could talk to on a very emotional level. So that's kind of something I started looking into. I started looking into, is there anything in that space to help support these people who've gone through these life-altering circumstances other than like a GoFundMe or these kind of things. I realized there was a massive gap in government funding for, and, and you know, government funding and charitable organizations for victims of trauma. So you made a decision yeah. to start something that would ultimately help victims of trauma. And that thing was? Was our hit the ground running um, Charity. Well, not for profit right now. We're we've applied for charitable status. We're hoping to you know receive it sometime in the next couple months. But yeah. So what we want to do with Hit the Ground Running is we want to raise funds for physiotherapy, psychotherapy, um, and other functional strength training related costs for victims of trauma. Because even if you're through an insurance provider, they'll give you kind of like the bare minimum. Like their job is to get you back to whatever your job was before, right? Which for me was like a desk job. So they, were, they didn't care about the long-term ramifications, right? These guys have one goal in mind, and that's to get you to be able to sit at a desk and, and work again, right? So we realized that there was a massive lack of funding for people who wanted to get back to their new 100%, right? And that was my goal from day one, and I had an unbelievable team around me that, that made that possible for me, but I realized a lot of other people wouldn't have those same luxuries. 
Um, so that's really what drove me to get Hit the Ground Running going. And obviously we're, we're in the preliminary phases right now. We've launched a virtual run in the fall, September 2021. Mm -hmm. We also just launched our merch. We actually just closed off our merch sales. But uh, if you want to buy a sweater, let me know. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, so we, we've found ways to get creative in the space to raise some money and also provide some cool, fun things for people, right? Um, but yeah, it, it's become a bit of a passion project for me. And when we talked about legacy that I want to leave, I, I think it would be really cool if I could take this kind of horrific situation and, and bring some positive about it, right? And I think it's brought me a lot of solace in, in the meantime. Like, you know, I'm sitting outside the place I got shot a year later. This is my, my third time back here. Yeah. Um, and that's something that crippled me at first, mm -hmm. man. I, I came, um, the first time I came here, like, I was, like, shaking. But it brought me a lot of solace and it allowed me to come to terms with everything that I've been through because I was able to use it for a greater purpose than myself. And that's something that I think is really cool and I'm always going to be thankful that I had the opportunity to do because of this kind of ter like terrible situation. So I just want to talk for a few minutes about the process of identifying the gap yep. and then trying to fill the gap. So answer me a few questions about this. When you start to identify the gap, yep. I'm thinking about business leaders who are thinking, okay, like, you know, we're actually experiencing a thing in our business and it may not be as significant as the trauma you experienced, yep. but they might be feeling a hurt or a pain. Yep. And they're starting to identify a gap in their recovery. Yep. So they need to deal with the pain, right? So that you're dealing with your pain would have been the doctors and all the experts they brought in. But then you saw, you began to see this gap. If you're in business, because you worked in business before, yep. How does that translate? What are what are some things a business leader might questions have been asked themselves that you asked yourself about? Like, is this actually a gap? Like, what? How do you discern that? Yeah, I guess you have to see what the competition's like, right? And, and I think that's a weird thing to, for me to say yeah. in regards to like a not-for-profit. But the key to identifying the gap for me and realizing that this was something that could be a sustainable project for me was I, I just did a lot of research to see if anyone else was doing it, right? And obviously at the time, it had a direct impact on me. I would have loved to secure some extra funding for my recovery yeah, for sure. um, from credible organizations, right? Yeah. So I, I did a lot of research on what the competition or you know the, the environment and space was like, and there just wasn't a lot. There, there was very, very little. I, I secured, I think, a $1,000 check from some government organization that I basically just called and said, hey, I got shot. They're like, oh my God, that's terrible. What's your address? Like there was wow. no more questions yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, that was as simple as it was. They're like, the max we can do is a thousand bucks. Here's the thousand bucks. Like wow. enjoy it however you want. And the reason you were doing this too is because your physio, all the all the support would have been like, again, the really what you felt, the bare minimum just to get back to work. Yeah. You wanted something more. Yeah. So let me ask you this question then. Often when we work with organizations at Leading With Nice, yep. when people are identifying these gaps that need to be filled, one of the questions we ask them is, when you look back into your history, yep. when has your organization been at its best? Mm -hmm. And so I think the question pertains to you, when has Brandon been at his best? And that might, yeah. might that doesn't answer necessarily, oh, I was at my best when I scored a hat trick in an uh, important hockey game. Yep. So obviously you cannot replicate that hat trick moment, yep. but you can replicate the work and the experience and the talents you brought to that. Yep. So how did you identify, like when you were thinking of hit the ground running, which is about doing runs and raising money through that, yep. one of the ways you'll raise money, yep. how did you decide that was the thing? Like why not a charity hockey game? Why not um, selling uh, biscotti uh, through uh, artists and bake shops? Yeah, yeah. There, there's two reasons for that. And I think the first is, is kind of my blanket statement with COVID was 
detrimental to having any sort of gatherings, mm. right? At the time that we decided to do everything. So a virtual run, you can kind of do wherever, right? But the second thing, and I think this pertains a little bit more to life in general, is I think you're at your most dangerous and your greatest potential for success when you're the most vulnerable and you're the most desperate. I loved what I went through because it was the greatest struggle and obstacle I ever had to overcome in my life, right? Uh, when it came to, to my rehabilitation process and finding a purpose for everything that I went through, it, it, that's what kept me up late at night. I, I was working my tail off to, to get back to my new 100%. I was pushing through all these barriers I could. I was reading every night, trying to learn about the PTSD, the symptoms, the impacts that my situation was gonna have on me. And that drove me to want to use this to make a change for other people, right? And I think that's a really cool feeling and it's a feeling I still love in my day-to-day -day life. I find myself, I find that it's easy to get complacent, especially we live in a pretty good you know, world here in Canada, yeah. right? Yeah. But when you start to get complacent, I think you start to neglect opportunities to capitalize on for success, right? Whereas I didn't really have the opportunity to be complacent at that time in my life. I had to be working for that next goal every single day in my recovery process. And it drove me to want to make a difference, right? And I now had the time to, to do it as well, right? Can I offer you my perspective on that? Sure. Because you talk in this definite, like, I did not have a choice. I had to do this. <laughs> well, no, my friend, you had a choice. Yeah. Right? You could have been complacent. You could have accepted a GoFundMe. You chose not to. And I think the learning there is exactly that for a business leader. You do have a choice, yeah. right? How are you going to approach? And complacency isn't a black or white. Yep. There are several layers and levels of how you approach things. Brandon, I'm gonna take a pause right now because uh, there's so much to talk about. We have more learning from you that we need to do two episodes of this. Um, there's a few people though, if you're just listening to episode one, there's a few people that make this thing happen. Cindy Craig helps book the show. Austin Pomeroy, he's sitting on the grass right now doing audio. Adam's our video guy behind. Adam is a partner of ours here in Ottawa and he has a great company with a partner that does a lot of filming. We're gonna put the link to his company in the show notes. Naomi Grossman helps research and do the questions. Jamie Hunter is our content manager. If you're seeing this on social uh, or reading it on the blog or, or listening to the podcast or seeing it on YouTube, you can thank him for that. Carrie Cotton is our account manager. Well, I'm here gallivanting in Ottawa. She's taking care of the business, so thank you, Carrie, for that. And of course, my wife, Allison, which let me come to Ottawa for the day. For more on this, visit our blog, leadingwithnice.com. We also have a lot of great episodes. This is, of course, episode one of season two. There's a whole other 24-ish episodes with great learning. And you definitely wanna come back for episode two of Brandon Peacock's story. And there's some brilliant learning for you and uh, your business in the next episode. Brandon, thanks for being here for part one. We'll get to part two right away. Yeah, looking forward to it. Check out www.htgrcanada.com too to learn a little bit more oh, about what we're no doing. Oh, don't worry. Hate the Ground Writing's website is definitely in the show notes and <laughs> uh, we will definitely be talking more about how you can learn more about Hit the Ground Running. Uh, pro tip, uh, Brandon uh, should be coming to your company to do some speaking because uh, he, yeah, he's only t scratching the surface of how he brings inspiration and motivation. But that's, that's aside the point because there's lots more learning. We'll talk to you in the next episode.